Welcome to the October 2012 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is produced in Boston by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations. I'm Melissa Neller. Today, I'll chat with a physician committed to both physical and emotional healing. Plastic surgeon Sumner Slavin has pioneered new methods of tissue reconstruction for patients, including women with breast cancer, to restore body parts to a more usual appearance. After spending time in the Middle East, he also started a fellowship program to teach plastic surgeons from the region advanced techniques and procedures. Slavin is an HMS Associate Clinical Professor of Surgery at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, who serves in a number of leadership roles. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. When did you know that you wanted to be a plastic surgeon? I had taken plastic surgery as my very last rotation in medical school. I was actually done with all of my credits, and there was one month left. And I decided not to just sit it out and do nothing. And I noticed that I could take that elective, and I signed up for it, and it was really a life-changing event. So there was a bit of serendipity and luck in your actual choice of, of specialty then? There always is. I had already decided on a surgical career. I hadn't found my exact niche. And when I saw it, uh, it was love at first sight. So tell me about that. What was uh, appealing in particular about this niche? The field is extremely creative and broad. And it encompasses all age groups, both genders, and all areas of the human body. We can operate from head to toe. And that expansiveness of the field really appealed to me. As a surgeon and and as a plastic surgeon, you presumably spend a great deal of time in the operating room, but do you also spend a lot of time actually talking with patients? Well, that's a good question. I operate three days a week, and I see patients two days a week. Instead of having prolonged relationships such as an internist, or a primary care doctor or a psychiatrist might have with a patient, we have short bursts of very intense relationships. And I enjoy that very much, even though I know I may not ever see that patient again, or it might be uh, some time, it could be years before we would have another encounter. In some ways, it sounds like it must be very challenging because you have to establish rapport with the patient very quickly then as well. It's a very personal field where people discuss fears and inadequacies, issues of body image that are very personal and perhaps even more personal than just talking about illness in general. It certainly is helpful and important to the relationship that you have a sensitivity in you and you enjoy the warmth of a relationship. You've worked with breast cancer patients and you've actually authored a number of pieces talking about a paradigm shift in the field. Can you talk about what you mean by that? To answer that question, I need to give you a bit of a panorama of what's happened. Initially, breast cancer patients all had mastectomies and were told, we'll see you in a few years if you're alive and well. And that period kept shortening. Finally, by the 1990s, we began to offer this new concept called immediate breast reconstruction, which meant specifically that you could wake up with a new breast. You never have to endure the horror, the pain of looking down and seeing that a normal body part was missing. Then issues of cure and management of the specimens arose, and the paradigm shift was that patients were being told increasingly 
to have radiation therapy after their mastectomy. And we as plastic surgeons had to deal with an entity that could cause harm and or even destroy the result that we had worked so hard for. So the paradigm shift really means adjusting to this new change, which had to have primacy. The mastectomy and the radiation therapy had to be more important than anything we did because it was life-saving. But we were in close second place because we were the quality of life people. So talk a little bit more about plastic surgeons being the quality of life people and the emotional well-being of the patient as well as the physical. I think the two are so tied together that I tell trainees in my field that plastic surgery is psychological surgery and that they need to think of it at least partly in that context. The other thing I'd like to tell them is that they should choose our specialty because you change a person's life in a day. And that's a remarkable thing. Other doctors will make equal contributions, but it might take much longer. I'm really curious about something that I read, which was that when you were chief of plastic surgery at Beth Israel Deaconess, you started a new fellowship program, which was with residents in Israel. Is that correct? Yes. So my interest actually stemmed back to 1972. I was awarded a public health service fellowship from the United States government. And I had a choice of where to go for three months. And I chose the Middle East and I was sent to Jordan, Egypt, and Israel. A month, a month, and a month. And it was the most extraordinary experience of my life. And from that moment on, I've had an interest in that region of the world. And politics totally aside, uh, I've been upset by the level of violence and concerned and wondered what we could do. So this was really a program that stemmed from your visits and recognizing the need for greater training and awareness around these issues. A big need for greater training. A patient who's a victim of a suicide bombing will have their body embedded with perhaps a hundred screws, nails, and bolts. Who will take those out? It's the plastic surgeon who will do that. But the plastic surgeons in the area are uh, not as advanced as Americans are in reconstructive techniques. So I saw a need to bring over plastic surgeons from that area of the world, train them here, specifically at Harvard, but also at other major American centers, and make sure that they went back. How many physicians have been trained? I would say that we've trained about 10% of the plastic surgeons in Israel at this moment. It's much more difficult for me to get Palestinian or Jordanian candidates. There are political issues, and they just don't have a lot of plastic surgeons in such countries. So the best way to try to attempt this is to train the Israelis who will contribute to the Palestinians in the area of medical development. Uh, You've had such an incredible role in helping with the healing of really individuals and societies on some level. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Despite the conflict, some amazing things happened. To give you an example, about a year or two ago, a uh, Palestinian boy in the Gaza Strip threw a grenade at Israeli soldiers, a not unusual event. In doing so, because he was 10 years old, he blew his arm off. His arm was on the ground. The soldiers picked him up and his arm, lifted him by helicopter from the Gaza Strip to Beersheba. A team of microsurgeons went to work immediately to 
restore the arm and reconnect it. Both of those were plastic surgeons trained in microsurgery here. They were successful. The boy's arm was reattached. He was returned to the Gaza Strip. It's really inspiring to hear the results of your approach. I can't solve the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but I can train doctors. I was in Jerusalem a year ago, and I was attending a symposium, and an Israeli plastic surgeon introduced me to a Palestinian plastic surgeon. And the Palestinian was the only plastic surgeon in Bethlehem. And the Palestinian received advanced plastic surgery training, again, at, in this case, Beersheba. And he was able to drive to Beersheba, a very short drive, and go there on a daily basis, get training, and go back to Bethlehem very quietly, outside any political context. And at the end of a year of this, he was able to treat people, his own people, in his own town without outside help. I think that's a good model. To learn more about Slavin, watch for the autumn 2012 issue of Harvard Medicine Magazine, which will include a Q&A with him. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Tell us what you think and see what other listeners are saying at hms.harvard.edu slash podcasts. To learn more about Harvard Medical School, its academic and research programs, and its affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.